Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Well, hey, thanks again for being here tonight. Uh, If you came in late, just want to remind you that this is our last midweek for the year. So um, you can go. I really appreciate you guys and your faithfulness of being here. Thank you so much for giving up um, an hour of your week. I know there's there's a lot going on, so it means a lot that you guys are here um, um, with us. So just want to say thank you for that. We are in Ephesians chapter six, and uh, we're going to get through all of this. We're not going to be able to hit each verse um, and not even necessarily each section. Um, because the ending of Ephesians chapter 6 is a pretty, uh, um, pretty familiar passage. And so I really want to spend a little bit more time talking about that. But let's look at these first few verses in Ephesians chapter 6. So we're going to read verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So if you remember back, back to last week, all the way back to last week, um, some of you don't remember what you had for breakfast, so remembering what we did last week is, is a stretch. But Paul ends Ephesians 5 um, talking about how relationships um, and, and the structure in the home. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. And we remember that as we are reading this, that the original letter wasn't written, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, that it was one long letter. And so we get to Ephesians 6, and it kind of flows, if you think about it, it flows naturally out of Ephesians 5, as Paul is talking about how to practically live in the Lord when it comes to the context of the household. And so he, he just gave the structure for husband and wife. Then he starts talking in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, children obey your parents for his right in the Lord, kind of continuing on with that same motif that he ended in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, so... So what's he say about the children? He says, you are to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This obey, this um, hupeiko, is this combination of of these two Greek words that means, that literally means to hear under, um, to come underneath. That is, children are to um, come underneath their parents' authority and respond positively to what they hear. Not like, yes, dad, but like in the affirmative, that when they are commanded to do something, they respond positively. Um, that, and this is in the context of a Christ-centric home, if we remember that. Wives submit to their husband as to the Lord. Husbands shouldn't do anything to demean or to harm or to belittle their bride. Why? Because that's not how Christ treats the church. Um, the husband gives himself up for the wife as Christ gave himself up for the church, and the children come under the authority of that, um, just as we come under the authority of Christ, that we are to obey Christ. And this is what Paul says, right, that you obey um, in the Lord, for this is right. Paul references a verse in Exodus 20, um, uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving you, that children are to obey and honor. And so we see that clearly this command that was in the Old Testament is carried on to the New Testament as well. Um, the command to honor their father and mother and we see that all scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So seeing this call to children um, being the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, that they are, are to honor and obey. Um, and and we, 
we're not going to get into verse 4 because it, it gives this command to the parents as well, right? That you are not um, to make it hard for your children to honor and to obey. Um, and we'll get to that here in just a second. But as we're looking at this idea of, of children obeying and honoring their parents, we see that obedience has to do with action while honor has to do with attitude. You know, a lot of times you're like, what is, you know, what's obey and honor? Um, honor has to do with their attitude. And when we're talking that honor doesn't change, no matter how old you are, that we are to honor our parents. Um, but when we're talking about obeying our parents, you know, when a man and, and, and woman get married, uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 5 says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That they, and Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 5, right? That they are now um, starting their household. And so the call to obey your parents um, it, it kind of fades out, but you still honor your parents. Um, and, and, but in this context, Paul is talking about um, the household, right? So it's, it's you've got a, a mother and a father, and you've got children. It's not talking about grown children necessarily, but in case you're wondering, honor still applies no matter how old we are. Um, but if my dad asked me to clean my room and I'm 38 years old, like, Dad, I love you and I respect you and I honor you, I'll clean my room when I want to. Um, and so, but I can still honor him in that. Um, so Paul isn't talking to married children, just kind of clarifying that, and just talking about what that honor means, and it extends to us no matter how old we are, how old our parents are. Um, and we, we, we've mentioned it several times that the first three chapters in Ephesians are very theological, very um, uh, in-depth when it comes to, to understanding who God is, and the last three are very practical when it comes to how we live our life. Um, and so Paul says, um, obey. And then he goes on to, to reference Exodus 20, where it says, honor your father and mother. Um, that children, even in their obedience, are to honor their parents, which means that, uh, that they don't just obey them begrudgingly, because you can obey someone and have a bad attitude. Um, some of you may think of your employer right now. You're like, I do what they say, and I don't like it, but I still do it. Um, you can obey someone and hate their guts. Um, but that's not what God is wanting us to do as children. That's not what he's saying is you obey, and you don't obey out of obligation. You do it out of a respect and a reverence for your parents. And, and sometimes this is what Christians do when it comes to following God. It's like, okay, I guess I'll do it. If I want to go to heaven, I can't go out and party anymore. If I want to go to heaven, I can't cuss out my neighbor anymore, but I guess I'll do it. Well, this is what the Pharisees did. That, that their actions, you know, they, they miss the heart of it. And Jesus calls them out in Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9. He says, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he's saying, hey, they, sure, they're obeying me, but their hearts aren't honoring me in this. Um, and so, so we look at the, the structure of the household of the family um, as kind of mirroring Christ in the church. And so as children, right, that we come under the authority of God and that we obey him and we honor him, just as children are to obey, obey and honor um, their parents. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So here Paul is saying, you know, um, well, first off, moms, you're not off the hook on this, okay? So you're like, yes, I can do treat my kids however I want to. Um, so Paul is saying you need to honor and obey your parents, 
But then he's given a call to the parents. Don't make it hard for them to honor and obey you. Um, this Greek word for father, it normally refers to the male uh, parent. But there are some instances in the New Testament where it refers just to parents in general. And, and so Paul is talking about honoring your father and mother. So it makes sense here that he's kind of referring to parents in general. That mother and father, you are not to um, provoke your children to anger. But um, if we look at it in a historical context, uh, fathers had kind of the rule of the home in, in the Roman era. Uh, even in the sense where they, they had virtual power of life and death. That if their child was born and they looked at it and they're like, that child looks like it's going to be weak, they could have that child sold into slavery, like as a baby. Um, they, could, they could cast their children out of their homes if they wanted to. The fathers had this authority. And so, you know, he's addressing the fathers because in the context of, uh, of the historical setting, um, it would kind of make sense that as the father goes, the rest of the house goes as well. So he's encouraging and, and um, uh, commanding the, the fathers, hey, don't, you know, um, provoke your children to anger. Um, it doesn't mean you neglect discipline, right? It doesn't mean that you don't, um, you correct them when they're wrong, um, but you raise them wisely, working, you know, working with them to help them choose what pleases God that you are making it easy for them, that this is the, um, uh, the example that you are setting, right? That we see an earthly picture of our Heavenly Father. Um, we have to understand that, that children are a gift from God. Psalm 127.3 says that. says, Behold, children are a heritage. They're a gift. They're a privilege from the Lord, the fruit of the womb as a reward. And so we reminded that we are stewarding these children, that God has entrusted these children to us. And so we're to raise them in a way um, that honors God. It raises them in a way that, that wants to, uh, that, that they, in a way they want to turn and, and, and turn to God after they leave the home. Um, you know, we, we look back to chapter five where Paul is saying, be careful, be very, um, um, be very precise in how you are living um, and that we try to live in such a way that pleases the Lord. And this carries on to how we treat our children, that we aren't just living, we aren't parenting flippantly, um, but we're parenting very cautiously in such a way that says, hey, I'm going to raise my children in a way that pleases God so that when they leave the home, they live in such a way that pleases God, that they've seen this healthy relationship, these God-honoring relationships lived out in the home. So when the two become one, when, the, when your son, when your daughter marries, they go off and raise godly children. And you see um, this, this generation um, extend, this legacy extend of, of uh, children and parents who love God, who want to follow God because they've seen their dad love their mom. They've seen their mom submit to their dad because their dad is leading them in a godly way. And they see their, their parents raising them in such a way as to not provoke them to anger, not to cause them to be frustrated um, or, or become bitter, but they, they um, come under the authority of their father because they see that their father and their mother are leading them in a way that points them to God. Um, we're going to skip down to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 20. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our, our time. Um, Ephesians chapter, 10, or chapter, 6, verse 10, chapter 6, verse 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the evil, in, 
of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. That end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints and also for me that my words, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. It's a really interesting way that he ends this, this uh, book of Ephesians, this letter to the, uh, the churches in Ephesus, um, because this broke has, has been... Uh, this broke. This book has been broken down, like I said earlier, theologically and practically. Um, and so he talks about what it means to be alive in Christ. And so these last three chapters have been talking about what it means to be alive in Christ. How do we live in a way that honors God as we are being obedient children, right? How do we, how do we navigate this life? And then he, he ends this chapter um, by saying we've got to be ready for spiritual battle. We're not fighting, we're not waging war against flesh and blood, but against evilness, evil and principalities of darkness. And man, I think what he's telling us is that, you know, we look in Ephesians chapter two that we've been made alive in Christ. If we remember that from, from a few weeks ago. Well, why would Satan attack something that's dead? You know, because what's the point? But when someone is alive in Christ, when God begins to work, we see that Satan begins to attack. And so Paul is reminding believers that it's not in our own power that we fight, that we be strong in who? In the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Not in your own strength, right? My own strength is garbage. Um, But you put on the whole armor of God. You're not putting the armor of Jerry, the blacksmith down the street, right? That's he sure he makes you know a great sword, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the armor of God, um, that you are walking in the strength of God. You're covered in His protection, and with that um, protection, you have the ability to stand to be prepared to fight. Um, and this is what verse thirteen is saying: that without God, you are unable and unprepared for the fight that is going to take place. Um, if we remember. You know, as we're talking about the historical context, that the book of Ephesians was a prison epistle, that Paul wrote it when he was in jail, guarded by Roman soldiers day and night. And so it's really interesting, if you think about it, as he's writing this letter, he's seeing these Roman um, guards that he is looking at their, um, their battle readiness. Um, and he's seeing how formidable the Roman military was and being inspired by the Holy Spirit that he writes this next section, that we, we strap on the belt of truth. Um, as we look at this, we see that um, Roman soldiers, they would wear this tunic, um, kind of like a poncho, if you will, right? It just had like a hole for your head and arms. It was kind of loose-fitting, and they would wear it. But whenever they were getting ready for battle, um, they would tuck it into their belt, and they would cinch their belt down because, you know, in, as you're swinging a sword, you're not, you want everything to be form-fitting so it's not getting caught up. You're not, like, struggling. You don't have, the enemies don't have something extra to grab onto. And so they would, um, they would tuck their, their tunic into their belt, um, cinch it up, 
And Paul tells us that, tells us that we are in a spiritual battle and so that we have to prepare ourselves, um, that, we are, that we need to take anything that might trip us up, that might slow us down, that might hinder us for the work that God has called us to do. It needs to be gathered up. Um, some translations use this word gird, right? Um, and, and it just means that you, you tuck it up, that you, you, you prepare yourself um, for battle. And Hebrews 12.1 tells the runners to do the same thing. Right as he's making this illusion, the writer of Hebrews is making this illusion to run in a race. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Paul's saying, hey, take anything that's a hindrance and tuck it into this belt of truth. That our readiness, our preparedness is truth. Not just any truth, right? We, we hear this a lot. I'm living my truth. No, no, no. Um, that, we, that we cinch it, that we... Um, prepare ourselves with God's truth, that knowing God's truth is essential, that it's vital for every believer as we are entering, as we are facing spiritual warfare. Um, Earlier in Ephesians 4, Paul tells us and cautions us about being swept away by false doctrine. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 um, that people will follow false doctrine. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul tells Timothy there'll be a time where people follow what they want to hear instead of truth. And so Paul's saying, as you are getting ready for spiritual battle, you have to tuck in everything. You have to cinch everything, hold everything together with the belt of truth. In 1 Peter uh, 1.3, Peter writes this, Therefore, preparing your minds for actions and being being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word preparing, when he says preparing your minds for battle, it's the same root word that uses when he talks to, tells the Ephesians to put on your belt of truth, um, this zonumi, this, this Greek word, um, which is preparing yourself. Prepare your minds for battle. Put on the belt of truth, the same language, same root word there that Paul's using, that Peter's using, that we are preparing our minds um, for what's coming. So if you're going King James, that you are girding yourselves with an attitude of total truthfulness, grounding yourselves in God's truth, strapping on the belt of truth shows this attitude of readiness um, and total commitment. Then we go into the breastplate of righteousness. Um, so think again of the Roman soldier. They have their tunic. Then over that, they've got this breastplate that is uh, it's sleeveless, so it's covering the vital organs, covering the heart, the lungs, the intestines, the stomach. Um, and if we're talking, if we're, we're looking at this, and we're talking about you know ancient Jewish teaching that the heart represented the mind, it represented the will. Um, the heart was the core of who someone was. When we look in Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Is he talking about my heart that's going bump, 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 bump? No. He's not saying, man, I hope Michael has low cholesterol and healthy blood pressure, right, that his heart is pure. No, that's not. What he's talking about is he's saying that, um, and this is the, the definition, so I'll read it here, that the center of my life, the seed of my spiritual life, that my soul and my mind, that my heart um, and the fountain is the fountain of my thoughts, my passions, desires, my appetites, my affections, my purposes, my endeavors, that everything that I am flows from the heart. Jesus says, blesses the pure in heart. Everything that flows out of me is pure. And so the breastplate of righteousness covers your heart, but it also covers um, your intestines and your bowels, your stomach. And if we look again at ancient Jewish teaching, that the intestines were considered like the seat of emotions, um, we look at a verse like Jeremiah 4.19. It says, my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart, my heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent, for 
where I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war, do you hear the anticipation, um, the anxiety in this, right? The, the worry, the fear, the emotions in this verse. If we look at it, my anguish, my anguish, um, that the Hebrew word is this word meah, and it literally translates to intestines, my bowels, that, this, that, the, that it's like you have this gut feeling, if you will. In an ancient Jewish teaching that it's like the heart was the core of who you are, and the intestines were these emotions. We look again in a verse like, uh, a verse like Lamentations 2.11, my eyes are spent weeping, my stomach, meah, there it is again, churns, bile is poured out of the ground because of the destruction of, of the daughter of my people, because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. So we're looking at this as the breastplate of righteousness covers our hearts, covers the core of who we are, covers our emotions. And if you think about it, um, man, when Satan attacks, what is a lot of time he attacks who you are, right? He attacks um, your, your desires, your passions, your affections. He attacks your emotions, Paul's saying that you're putting on this breastplate of righteousness to protect your heart, to protect your feelings, to protect your mind. Um, and, and he's not necessarily talking about this imputed righteousness that Christ has given us, that we've strapped that on. Yes, that's one aspect of it, but also this personal conduct righteousness, this way that we live, that we live in a righteous manner. So that, that it's not just um, in our heart and in our mind, right? Yes, I, am right, my, I have the righteousness of Christ, but I'm going to live righteously as well. Um, Paul writes in, in Colossians 3 that we put on then as God's chosen one, um, put that verse up there for you guys, holy and beloved, so you're putting on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, that it's not just the righteousness of Christ, but in that there are these righteous actions that are lived out in obedience to Christ, that these will cover your heart, will cover your emotions as, as Satan is trying to attack you. Paul goes on to talk that, we, that our shoes are fitted with the gospel of peace. Um, I got to perform a wedding ceremony a few months, a few weeks ago. Um, it was for a family member, and so I wanted to look nice. So I didn't have a black suit. I had like a charcoal gray suit. You know, like you want a black suit. So I had to go buy a black suit. Um, and I didn't have any like nice black dress shoes. And so I was like, I'm going to be nice. It's for a family member. I want to look good. And so I bought new dress shoes. Um, I, I tried them on in the store. Fine. No big deal. Um, I put them on when, uh, when the wedding started. And immediately I knew these shoes were going to be a problem. Like within 20 minutes, no, not exaggerating at all, these shoes started to rub off the skin on the back of my heel. Like it was terrible. Um, if you guys ever had a bad pair of shoes that gives you blisters on your feet, you know that shoes are really important. And a wrong pair of shoes uh, really affects how you walk. It affects how you feel. And, and so having good shoes is vital, especially when you're going into combat. And so these Roman soldiers would, you know, if their feet are blistered or their feet are, are, aren't taken care of, they're not going to be able to make advancements. They're not going to be able to effectively stand like they're called to stand. So Roman soldiers would, in essence, they would, they would have like bits of metal and, and bone and stuff in the bottom of their shoes to as they're going up, you know, these, these muddy, these slippery hills in battle, these blood-soaked hills, um, to help give them traction as they are, are in this phalanx formation being pushed against, that they are able to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy, that shoes are vital 
to um, this, this battle. And Paul is telling us that, hey, the shoes that we have in this spiritual battle are the gospel of peace. That if we've strapped on the belt of truth, if we've put on the breastplate of righteousness, but we don't have the proper footwear, we're going to stumble and fall. That we're not going to be able to stand firm against the enemy. And as Paul is talking about the armor of God, he tells us to prepare ourselves so we can stand firm. Right? As, he is, as he is introducing the armor of God, he uses this idea of stand firm, that you can withstand, that you can, when you've done everything you know to do, that you are standing firm. Man, well, footwear is vital to that ability to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That when we put on the gospel of peace, we're able to dig in, that we're able to, to make advancements in battle. Why? Because we're confident in God's love for us. That we have this peace that we have a union with God, and we have peace that he is committed to fight on our behalf. Um, We're confident in the good news that we're now at peace with God. That the good news, gospel means good news, that we put on our feet the good news of peace. And what is that peace? That we are now God's children. Like Romans 8, 31 and 37 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? knowing all these things that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that if this is our, on our feet, if this is our peace, man, then what, what can push us back when that is, is, is strapped to us? When we're, we're digging in, man, if God is for us, who can be against us? All right, I'm going to take steps against the enemy. I'm gonna, my feet are prepared to not just play defense, but to move on the offense as well. So Paul moves on um, to the... Uh, the helmet of salvation, um, or the, I think the shield of faith, which I forgot to put on there. Um, so my apologies for that. Um, so Paul's introduced these first three, which were never really taken off, right? So you've got the tunic, and you've got the belt cinching up the tunic. You've got the breastplate that's always there. You've got the shoes that are always there. These next three um, are, are things that are ready to be used in battle. And so he talks about the shield of faith. Um, and this shield isn't a small shield. Um, this shield was meant for the soldiers who were on the front line. So it's probably two and a half feet wide, maybe four, four and a half feet tall, able to protect the entire soldier. They were a little bit smaller back then um, than compared to, to modern times. And these soldiers are on the front line. And they are the, the, you know, um, the ones that are protecting the archers behind them. And so they're putting up their shields so the archers can take shots. And as the other archers are, are firing their arrows, these soldiers are putting up their shield, um, blocking the incoming fire from the enemy. Um, and this kind of faith that he talks about when he talks about the shield of faith, it's different than the faith that he talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. So um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, forgive me for not having the notes on the screen, Um, But it says this, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So in that sense, faith is like the religious beliefs of Christians. Is that right? That we all um, attain this unity, that we're unified in our beliefs of who Christ is um, and the knowledge of him. So he's talking about in context, knowing God, knowing um, uh, the belief system of, of what it means to follow Christ. Here in, in, in chapter 6, Paul is talking about a faith that puts total trust in God. Um, the, the Greek definition of this faith is fidelity. It's loyalty. And it's, it's, it's a faith like Hebrews 11 and Habakkuk 2, where, where the author of Hebrews says, And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
Habakkuk 2, behold, the soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Um, it's not just the faith in something. Now, you know, I'm sure this ethereal idea of, of a higher being, no, no, no. Um, that faith is only as reliable, um, it's only as trustworthy as the object that you're placing faith in, right? So I'm having some faith this chair is going to hold me up. Why? Because I think the welds are good. It's, sounds pretty solid. It's metal. It's sturdy. Um, but Christian faith is powerful because the object is unchanging. The object is unfailing. Um, Christian faith is powerful because we place our faith in Christ Jesus, and he is infinitely powerful, absolutely dependable. And so he's saying that we pick up the shield of faith, that we put our full trust in God, that as Satan is launching these attacks, that we put up our faith and our trust in God that he is going to protect us, that he is our shield, um, that it never fails because the one in whom we trust never fails. Paul goes on to talk about the helmet of salvation. Um, and no, no soldier, even in today's battle, would really enter into combat without a helmet. Um, the helmets look a little bit different than they did in the Roman times, but um, any soldier that's entering into battle is going to put on a helmet because obviously you want to be protected from head injury. right? That as the cavalry are running in with their swords and they're trying to swing, and decapitate and take out the soldiers and cause massive head trauma, that the helmet is, um, is essential. And so Paul's indicating that Satan will, will swing, and he's going to swing doubt, he's going to swing discouragement um, at the assurance of our salvation. Um, he's going to try to point to our failures, to our faults, to our sins. He's going to point to the fact, man, to, to our poor health. Man, if you really were, if God really loved you, you wouldn't be sick. And he's going to ca- cause us to doubt and get discouraged, whatever it may be. Um, but Jesus reminds us in John eight forty four um, that Satan's a liar. Um, John eight forty four. You are your father. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Talking about Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That Satan will lie. Satan will twist the word of God as he did to Adam and Eve, as he attempted to do um, to Jesus in the wilderness. That he will throw whatever he can at you. Um, swing whatever he can at you to cause you to doubt, um, cause you to become discouraged, to lose your confidence in your salvation, lose your confidence in Jesus. We put on the helmet of salvation. We walk in confidence, knowing that God is the one who started our salvation. Philippians chapter one, that I know that he who began a good work in you is going to carry it on to the day of completion. We look at something like John uh, chapter 10, verse 28 through 29. I give them eternal life and they will never perish No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. That we put on the helmet of salvation, and we have this confidence that we are saved. But also this helmet of salvation um, reminds us that we have a future hope, a future glory uh, waiting for us in Jesus. We look at at 1 Peter 1, verses 5 and 6. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. It seems like this was where Paul put a lot of his uh, confidence, a lot of his assurance in this helmet of salvation. Um, we see that, that he had this forward view of eternity, um, thinking that no matter what happened in this life, uh, it's worth the treasure that's waiting for him in heaven. We see Paul say things like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, we see him talk about all the things that he's been through, 
<clears throat> and he's learned that he's learned, he says that he's learned to be content in all things and that he can do um, all things through Christ who gives him strength, that he lived with this helmet of salvation, um, this hope of, of heaven waiting for him, guarding him, protecting his mind as he lived in Christ. And then we get to the last um, piece of, of the armor of God um, is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, swords weren't always wielded, but they were always kept ready to be wielded. They were kept in their sheaths, but they were always at hand. Um, and, and this wasn't, I had somebody a long time ago, which is really cool. They gave me like this broad, they didn't give it to me, but they let me have it for a little bit. This broad sword, which is like four feet long, this massive, like had to be held by two hands. Um, have you seen the movie Braveheart where it's like the William Wallace sword is like this great sword. Um, the word that Paul uses here when he's talking about the sword of the spirit, it's not this great sword, this William Wallace four foot sword. It's a sword that's about 12 to 18 inches long. That was pretty common for the Roman soldiers. Um, it was used by Peter when he cut the guy's ears off, uh, ear off when he, when they came to arrest Jesus. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's a long knife. It's a short sword that Peter or that Paul is talking about. Um, and it's important that we understand that, uh, and we're, we'll talk about it here in just a second. Um, but we're to keep the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, ready at all times, ready to do battle at all times. Um, Thomas Guthrie said this, The Bible is an armory of heavenly weapons, a laboratory of infallible medicines, a mine of exhaustless wealth. It is a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a medicine for every malady, a balm for every wound. Rob us of our Bible and our sky has lost its sun. Man, we could stay here all night and just talk about the power, the authority, the necessity of the word of God. Um, we could talk about how taking in the word of God causes us to grow in maturity in our faith. We could talk about how Jesus used scripture time and time and time again in the New Testament, how he was familiar with scripture, how he was, uh, had it committed to memory. Um, we could look at a verse like 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6, every word of God proves true. He is a shield of those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Psalm 19, 7 and 8, the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Right? The law, the testimony, um, the precepts, the commandments, all of these things are pure. They're right. They're wise. A believer who doesn't know God's word well will never be able to use God's word well. Um, Satan's not a dummy. And our ignorance is going to be exploited if we don't use the word of God well. I mentioned that the word sword is not this long, great sword that's kind of being swung like wildly, but it's a very precise, short sword, able to make quick strikes, able to defend against attacks, but also to able to attack when necessary. Um, and those who know the word of God are able to defend against the attacks of the enemy but they're also able to make advancements and also able to make attacks. Um, that this is the only weapon that we need that God has given us in spiritual battle. He's given us his word. He's given us his commands. He's given us his precepts. And the word of the Lord is true. Um, the word of the Lord revives us. The Lord of the word makes us wise. Um, the, Lord of the, wor or the word of the Lord causes us to rejoice and enlightens our eyes. 
man, that we wield the sword of the Spirit and we wield it well when we know it well. And this is what Paul is talking about at the end of Ephesians chapter 6, that we put on the whole armor of God. Man, that if you're missing the helmet, you're able, you're, you're going to be attacked, you're going to be injured. If you don't have um, the belt fastened, Maybe um, you're not prepared, you're not ready, that if you don't have the right shoes on, you're not going to be able to stand firm, that each piece of this armor is necessary and important to the life of a believer. Why? Because Satan is going to attack those who are alive in Christ. Satan's not going to attack dead things. But when God begins to work, Satan begins to attack, and Paul has told us, hey, this is what it means to be in Christ. This is what it means to be alive. This is what it looks like to be alive in Christ. Um, this is what it means to live in Christ. And when you do this, and when you do this, guess what? You're going to be attacked. And so how are you attacked? This is how you're attacked, by strapping on the whole armor of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight. God, we thank you for your word. God, thank you for the truth of your word. God, I pray that as we walk out of here, um, God, that we walk out of here changed, having um, taken in your word. God, that we live in a way that honors you. God, and as we, as we wake up tomorrow, God, that we prepare ourselves for battle. Um, knowing that we stand in you, the God that we fight in your power um, and with your armor and with your authority. God, we thank you so much. Pray that you would bless us as we leave here. God, bring us back safe. It's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.